Welcome to Uplink. The aviation dialogue starts here. I'm Shasta Ways. And I'm Michael Wiles. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Michael. Good morning. Hey, Shasta. Happy Monday. How are you doing today? Doing good. Just uh, settled in from my travels from the NAFA, National Aircraft Finance Association conference that happened in Key Largo. Um, And then also my family recently celebrated Eid. So it's been a busy past couple of days. But other than that, things are going well. How are you? I'm good. How was the uh, what was the highlight from the conference for you? Really, honestly, I haven't interacted very much with um, this group of people. Uh, It was mainly people, of course, in finance, on the insurance side. So I got to meet a lot of new people. And, you know, across the board, it's it's pretty evident. Workforce is a big issue. You know, we know this, but it's different when you're sitting in the crowd and you're hearing from CEOs and, and executives at companies that we, the whole industry is just suffering and suffering in terms of they need more workers. So it was just really reassuring to hear that from the different leaders that were represented there. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, the same topics seem to keep coming up. And I know later on in the show, we'll be revisiting sort of a topic that just came back around again with the FAA administrator. But, you know, hopefully it's good that these things are top of mind workforce and sustainability, but, you know, it'd be great for us to get to a place where the solutions have been solved and we are working on other things. Yeah, I agree. It's time for discussions around solutions. I I feel like we all are familiar with the numbers now. It's just a matter of what are we doing? What are actionable, tangible items that we're taking to move the needle forward? Well, today we have a great guest who is a part of the solution. His company is trying to bring something to market that would really, I think, unlock the the aviation ecosystem even more. So Shasta, who do we have coming on this week? So our guest on Uplink is Kevin Antcliffe, who is the director of product for X-Wing. Antcliffe is a Virginia Tech graduate who earned his bachelor's and master's degree in aerospace engineering. He has worked for NASA for over six years, serving in roles like the deputy lead of emerging applications and technologies in the aeronautic system analysis branch. In his role, Ancliffe led the development of a white paper in collaboration with experts from the industry and academia to cast a vision of regional air mobility, which is also known as RAM. As defined by NASA, regional air mobility seeks to change how people travel, which will unlock opportunities and locations that are underserved by commercial air services to travel more efficiently and sustainably. So X-Wing recently had some big news. A few weeks ago, they submitted a project specification certification plan to the FAA, and this would allow X-Wing to become the first standard category large unmanned aerial system to receive official project designation. What this means is this is the beginning of a process for approval of uncrewed commercial cargo operations in the national airspace. X-Wing, they have developed autonomous technology that they are applying to existing aircraft platform that would be able to, as I said, unlock the rest of the aviation ecosystem. So we have a great conversation with Kevin where he talks to us about advanced air mobility and regional air mobility and what that would mean to the ecosystem. Let's take a listen. 
Kevin Ancliffe, welcome to the Uplink Podcast. How are you doing today? Excellent. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. So Kevin, I just have a, a few questions for you. You are the Director of Product at X-Wing, and uh, we'd love to just talk to you a little bit about regional air mobility, which you've done um, some research and work on. So we'll just kind of dive into it. Sounds great to me. So compared to other emerging innovations like EV tolls and hybrid electric propulsion, why is autonomous aviation important to improving regional air mobility? Great question. So in the white paper that I helped write back in 2021, there was kind of a short definition of, of RAM there of just less than 20 passengers or equivalent payload, 50 to 500 miles or so, 80 to 800 kilometers. So in that realm of kind of this short distance small aircraft, you're looking at kind of two two main technologies, and you've mentioned, right, EV tolls, hydroelectric propulsion, so kind of the electric propulsion side and the autonomous system side. And, you know, throughout my career, started back in 2009 at NASA and, and worked on kind of both of these realms of electric propulsion, autonomous systems, those two major breakthroughs that enables this new advanced air mobility. But really a lot of that is looking at these small passages. All of these new concepts that we're seeing come out, both in UAM and RAM are, are very small, uh, right? And so looking at uh, the advantages of autonomous systems and how that applies to RAM, as well as a lot of these other, right? Vertical takeoff and landing, short takeoff and landing, however you wanna take off and land. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're typically this small aircraft and so, uh, let's just picture a, a five-passenger aircraft um, and look at autonomous systems and say, okay, if we've got a five-passenger aircraft and you're taking one of those seats for a customer, uh, obviously you're you're missing a paying customer as well as paying the pilot to sit in that seat. That obviously has a huge impact on the overall economics of these, these small aircraft. Um, you've got idle transfer time loss, uh, lodging per diem, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of cost factors that that come into that, um, as well as really location restrictions, right? And uh, it will really start to shift many of the crew availability constraints, pilot rest requirements, uh, and, and kind of what we're describing as our super pilot system at X-Wing is, is really trying to take the pilot off the aircraft, have them in a mission control center, to be kind of a operator or supervisor on the loop and taking that that kind of approach. And so with that approach, you no longer have these pilots going out to small communities and or Tillamook or many of the places we fly. So we've got a part 135 carrier that we operate cargo feeder routes for UPS, which is going to be a lot of my examples. So I'll just bring it up up front. But we we are you know flying out to these small communities. And then there's you know, very difficult to, to find, okay, how do we get this pilot back out to that small community? Uh, and so being able to have that shift that brings the pilot into uh, the mission control center allows them to operate or supervise the aircraft from there. There's a lot of huge uh, advantages to that. And I think when you're looking at all of the small aircraft and very dense airspace, right? Looking at some of the urban air mobility type missions, uh, really having more control over how that aircraft is going to operate. And it really also provides significant amount of what I'll call network effects, right? R rather than having kind of these fixed routes and fixed assets, you can generally have a much more fluid movement of aircraft uh, and resources throughout the region, being able to follow demand wherever it might be, even excite demand, right? Market it, try to, try to get the right 
types of uh, shift, but being able to actually move the asset around regardless of where the where the pilot needs to end up at. So that's just kind of a few things of, of why that autonomous aviation is really going to be a massive shift in, in how we're able to, to move some of these smaller aircraft around. It sounds like what you're saying is the development in autonomous regional air mobility would sort of help us pivot away from the predominant hub and spoke model that you know is is the feature of aviation to more a point-to-point model how would you see that change in how we travel and move goods i guess that would increase efficiency and as you're saying excite markets that probably aren't being used right yeah that's a great question so i i do think there's this this fundamental shift that is that is possible with this convergence right and and what what we've really focused in on uh, both in the white paper and as I've continued to to think on it in the last two years since then, is is really evaluating where where are the gaps in our current transportation system, right? And so you've you've got urban mobility, right? You've got scooters, you've got micro mobility, a lot of those uh, metros, uh, you know, buses, cars, et cetera, et cetera, right? Many fast, affordable mode options in an urban area, say zero to fifty miles. And then you've got kind of the more than 500 miles of commercial air travel where, you know, that's that's what it's really built for, all of those connections, et cetera. It does a good job of making that affordable and, and efficient. But then there's this, this gap, right, of, of 50 to 500 miles uh, where I think it's something on the order of 96% uh, are, are car trips today, right? And so this is a, a four, five, six, 10-hour car trip uh, for me and my three young kids, two, four, and six, that's not a fun time uh, <laughs> taking an eight-hour car trip. Uh, so it's really looking at kind of these inconvenient car trips uh, that are, and it's also you know inconvenient or it's too expensive to fly because it's, it's a shorter route. And really looking at that and trying to understand, okay, how can air travel come into this space? Uh, and really that existing air travel experience doesn't really work, right? Where, where everyone's aggregated into a major hub, you've got large parking lots and large lines and large terminals to get through, right? It takes a significant amount of time just to get from your, your car to your airplane. Uh, and so it's really looking at how do we reinvent, how do we reset, how do we reimagine the overall air travel experience and utilize, as I mentioned a lot, 5,000 plus public use airports, uh, that are just so so drastically underutilized. I think it's something like, uh, you know, ninety four percent of traffic goes through the top two percent of those airports, right? So it's really trying to understand how we how we develop a good solution for that gap. So Kevin, in what ways is RAM more sustainable and environmental friendly? If you could break that down for us. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I think there's a a lot of different aspects when you consider RAM and and try to understand what what options and what opportunities really are provided by it. And I think there's, you know, the obvious one is, is what, I've, what I've talked about a little bit is the, the electric, you know, the electric part of it and the electric side of it. And I don't, I don't really care what energy storage solution. I'm not going <laughs> to have those arguments, right? You've got the hydrogen fuel cells, you've got the hybrid electric, fully electric, battery electric, what have you. Uh, but really, what what is the unlock is the electric motor right and and whatever storage and energy you want to supply to it um and i, I think you know that those right the, there's a lot of different solutions there 
Uh, some of them are more sustainable or environmentally friendly than others, but I'll, I'll kind of allow them to, to handle those questions. Uh, but I do think on the, uh, on the overall concept of regional water mobility and looking at the infrastructure, something we've talked about um, as, as we've kind of discussed this is, is kind of a node-based versus a path-based solution and what, what that means for a, a new transportation system. And when you look at uh, you know, the national highway system and, and many of the past solutions to these types of problems, right? You're, you're adding more and more roads. You've got 4.2 million miles of road uh, in the United States, compare that to about 6,800 miles of runway. Uh, and, and you get this massive amount of uh, money and, and resources and uh, destruction <laughs> that has to happen in order to really repair, expand, maintain all of that road and rail infrastructure. Um, so I, I think really what we're looking at is this node-based, which kind of, you know, all of the nodes, all of the airports that you can hop between instead of developing a path between every single point that you want to travel to. Uh, and so I, I think that provides a, a great solution. And, and just to follow on that point, so I was talking to the uh, Secretary of Department of Transportation for Virginia, and he was looking at, uh, they had just signed a 60-year loan to expand the uh, to expand a tunnel, uh, you know, a, a highway, and it was uh, ninety million ninety billion dollars or trillion. I don't know, a lot of money. Uh, and he was saying, "Hey, if if we can't figure out a better solution in the next sixty years to these issues, um, you know, I I doubt that I will have to be paying off the sixty year loan, uh, and there's not going to be a better solution." Uh, than, than this. So I, I think really, when you look at a lot of these options, all of these vehicles that are coming online, uh, it, and kind of going back to my last point, is there's, there's no ability for all of these small aircraft and all of these small pieces to really scale to the level of mass adoption uh, to, to bring the accessibility and a sufficient cost reduction for mass market without that, that autonomy. And that, that's really, you know, why I jumped into this role and why I feel so passionate about the opportunity that autonomy brings to opening up all of this access to these airports. You kind of touched on this earlier, but it sounds like, as you're saying, regional air mobility will unlock some economic benefit for smaller communities. Could you maybe dive into that a little bit more? Yeah, I'd, I'd love to. I, I think there's a, a tremendous amount of, um, and we've seen over the past three years, I think it's something on the order of 70% of airports either either lost service completely or have reduced departures. So 70% of our entire airport uh, infrastructure and, and uh, route structures have been reduced by 70%. And uh, this this is something, this is really why I'm so passionate about RAM is, is how it benefits these smaller cities, smaller communities. Uh, and I, I think it, it really hits home for me. I, I live in in Southeast Virginia. This is where I grew up. This is where I was born and raised. Um, and I, I think this is, uh, it's it's really all about access to me. And so I live in one of those smaller cities. We lost uh, two thirds of our destinations in the past six months. Uh, I can fly to uh, one other airport from my airport uh, and it's really expensive to, to fly that one flight. And so, if I actually want to fly affordably, I've got to drive about an hour, hour and a half. 
Uh, if I want to uh, fly direct, then probably three hours, three and a half hours to get to an airport that really gets me the right kind of connectivity, right cost uh, for, for that kind of flight. And so really it's being able to provide uh, that new type of service. And, and it's not just uh, passenger travel, it's also the goods that we're bringing to a lot of these small communities right now. It's been really cool to see um, in, in our cargo feeder operations, right? We start at these big hub airports, but then we go out to these smaller, you know, Manio and Kirksville, Missouri and uh, Tillamook, Oregon to get all of your ice cream, right? I mean, I think the, these are the types of places um, that, are, that have really lost so much service, uh, both in bringing goods and, uh, and people in and out of those communities. And there's, there's just such a, I think y'all have mentioned in several of your podcasts, right? 861 different types of jobs in aviation, right? There's, there's so much opportunity to be brought to these small communities. And there's this kind of cycle that, that we can start to bring in as we bring more flights in. I think it's something on the order of, you know, four times impact on GDP through those aviation related jobs, tourism, and just general commerce. And as that increases, right, the, the ability to fly over the local airport is, is one of the biggest factors in bringing businesses into that community is to have that access, have that level of connectivity. And so then, you know, as businesses move in, workers and families move in, and then it gets into that cycle, right? Is there's, there's more people there, you can bring more flights, and you start to start to reinvigorate a lot of these small communities, um, which is just such an incredible opportunity for us to, to really pull up, pull together. Yeah, I, I agree. You, you talk a lot about the benefits. Um, so if RAM makes it easier to travel, could this lead to an increased frequency, just an increase of, of overall travel, hence shifting the environmental problems that we're hearing a lot about today? Yeah, I, I think it does. I think there will always be needs to move goods. There will always be need to move people. Uh, and I don't think that's ever going to change. I don't think people are going to say, you know, I don't want to travel anymore. Uh, I don't want to, to go. And so I really think what RAM provides is kind of getting a little bit back to that node-based, right? You're, you're going direct route. I think it was something, something like 20... I did a whole calculation of, okay, what does direct look like versus what we have today with, with uh, highways and byways and, and cars? And it's you know something like 23%, 25% of the um, additional distance that you're traveling every time uh, because you don't have those, those node-based systems. They're all path-based and they all go not where you want them to go. Uh, so I think that's uh, really looking at the system and trying to understand what is a, an incredibly efficient way to get from point A to point B uh, that is you know electric, sustainable, uh, able to get you there very quickly, um, and, and is able to, to save the time, save energy, save. Uh, so in my mind, uh, it's, not, it's, it's replacing existing trips that are much less uh, sustainable. And I think it's something on the order of uh, 25 miles per gallon is the current average, right? So the, taking a lot of those long, long car trips 
across all of these roadways and, and bringing them into the air, making them much more direct and much more sustainable. So in your white paper, you talked about, you know, the technologies that would need to come along or might be able to come along as RAM comes online. Can you think of one technology that would need to come along right away, maybe such as sustainable aviation fuels? In my opinion, uh, I think when I when looking at SAF and looking at um, hydrogen fuel cells and, and, and of the like, I, th I think a lot of those technologies are are great for larger aircraft and the existing traditional aviation systems, single aisle transports, etc. I think it's great to to push those there. I think for for regional air mobility and what what it needs, I, I think I think electric makes sense right now. I mean. Current battery technology, you could you could create a five passenger conventional takeoff and landing, flying 200 miles with an IFR. After that reserve, I, I think you've got a tremendous opportunity to start to roll this out rather quickly. And I think if if you're asking for a single technology, I'm obviously incredibly biased, um, but uh, you know I think there's a a good case to be made for autonomy. And you know our recent uh, Project-specific certification plan submission as uh, one of the huge milestones, I think, in, in kind of pushing toward this RAM future where we're really, and I'm not sure if you if you saw that submission, but essentially we put forward our first, uh, uh, for, it's the, the first ever certified standard um, com, uh, uncrewed aircraft system uh, to be, you know, working with the FAA and and looking to get that certified very quickly, uh, in order to commercialize this autonomous aviation technology. And so I, I truly feel like that is that is one of the biggest steps in being able to, as I mentioned earlier, not have such a rigid route structure, uh, but have more of those flexible assets. And I think there's other things on the battery side of, you know, battery technology. Right today, maybe 200. Let's let's get the full 500, right, and and uh, go from 200 watt hours per kilogram to to 400, uh, and and maybe we can we can see that capability uh, explode in in what it can provide uh, for for regional air mobility as well as the the charging infrastructure. Uh, in the paper, we talk about you know microgrid solutions and installing solar on airport grounds. We've seen that in Chattanooga, Indianapolis, Denver. We see that across the nation as well as the world. I think there's a ton in, in Germany that, that has, has built that out at the airport. So I think there's a lot of things that can be built up in preparation for uh, regional air mobility being able to, to scale. Uh, and as well as, you know, something that comes up pretty frequently is this kind of first and last mile, right? And, and creating the solution where it's it's a seamless process. You're booking one thing and you're able to to get the full trip to your final destination. I think a lot of these things coming together to to pull this this right solution in uh, that makes it, you know, gets it to that point where it is accessible and affordable uh, to to the masses. So Kevin, both Michael and I were both pilots um, and we're you know, we're curious, I feel like it's a hot topic. If autonomous RAM is deployed, the pilot workforce as it exists today stands to be disrupted. This seems similar to today's discussions with artificial intelligence, where the question is whether these powerful computers will put knowledge workers out of their jobs. So in the same way, if companies like X-Wing 
are successful, how might pilots and the profession be affected? Great question. I, I think there's there's really I, I love I love this question uh, because it it is such a hot topic. It is such uh, it's always mentioned in in these kind of conversations, and I think it's really um, it's good to bring this to to the forefront of hey, there's there is um, I feel like historically we've seen so much uh, of what what new technology, what new advancements bring, and it's 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 never okay. Let's put put humans and, and knowledge workers off to the side. I, I never see, and, and I've described the system a bit, right? But our super pilot system where you've got this remote operator, you've got a mission control uh, center, uh, you've got uh, over a lot of, a lot of people uh, that are working in these jobs. And, and truly what that creates in aviation is opening up aviation roles to a more diverse workforce, right? Uh, where they're okay, we've got remote operators. They don't have to travel away from their house, right? They'll be more accommodating to people with different physical needs, uh, more reliable work schedules, uh, which will allow some, you know, primary caregivers to be able to actually take these jobs if they love aviation and want to be involved. Uh, and you know, older workers who have phased out, you know, they they'll still be able to get into these aviation jobs. Many. Uh, you know, many of these are excluded today from the current, uh, you know, pilot maintenance workflow. So I think there's a there's a lot of opportunity there uh, to create so many new jobs, uh, both you know on the ground at the airports servicing these autonomous aircraft. There's going to be so many of them, right? And and they're going to be so they're going to be across the United States. They're not just going to be in hubs. And so there's there's going to be so many new opportunities not just for large urban areas and, and people who live there, but across, uh, across, the, across the US, across the world. And there's also you know, a separate piece of this is, um, I think there was a McKinsey study that came out a, a few months ago that said you know, 400,000 new pilots are needed by 2028 to service these markets. And so it's really, if we, if we want to see an expansion of what air travel could be and how we can bring air travel into our daily life, and this is something that's needed to augment uh, what what we have today in traditional aviation, uh, and really try to work out okay how do we how do we create these new opportunities um, and and provide a a pathway for more people to get into aviation, and so I, I really think it's a it's a tremendous opportunity for us. Uh, it's it's not a threat. It's it's going to add so many options, so many opportunities for for people that aren't able to have the 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 pilot type of uh, a, a typical pilot job. It's so fascinating that you said that because uh, it makes makes me think about um, when Apple was coming on market back in I think 1970s or late 70s and. Uh, Steve Jobs gave this interview where he talked about the computer being like the bicycle of the mind and it was freeing people from the drudgeries of work, you know, just mechanical things that you used to do before the computer would help ease some of that burden and also equip you to do other things. So, I mean, the fact that we're doing this podcast recording, you know, virtually is because of the computer. And as you said, it also opened up just open up the economy to other jobs that didn't exist before. So, you know, people tend to be afraid of new technology, but it tends to do more good, net good 
than bad. Yeah. So, so much historical precedent there, right? And, and people yeah. being scared that, oh, well, I feed horses. So, you know, well, this car can't do it. And, you know, how many computer engineers were there 100 years ago, right? There, there, there are new jobs that are created with new advancements in technology. Fuel and workforce costs are today two of the most significant expenses um, for airlines, if you look at their reports. And uh, we've seen airlines begin to invest in urban air mobility and regional air mobility. Are you seeing the investment community take similar interests in bringing this to the market sooner? Yeah, I, I think there's there's been a tremendous amount of interest um, in, in X-Wing, in regional air mobility, in uh, autonomous flight, uh, we've, we've got a significant amount of interest, not just um, from the investment community, but from um, OEMs and uh, so many people that are understanding uh, the current pilot shortage and, and how we, everything we've talked about today, right? All of, these, all of these communities that are losing service, how do we start to expand uh, aviation? How do we bring air travel more into people's lives? And so I, I think it's really, uh, it's starting to click. Uh, I've been getting a lot more um, interest in, and uh, conversations about regional air mobility than I have in the past. And much of my background is, is both in urban air mobility and regional air mobility. And I'm trying to understand, you know, what, it, what is this advanced air mobility space? And I truly think, you know, within the last few months, uh, as we've seen uh, a lot, a lot more shift into this regional mobility and using conventional takeoff and landing aircraft, utilizing the 5,000 plus public use airports, providing accessible transportation to small communities, it's it's really starting to to gain steam. And I think, especially with with what X Wing is doing and our you know pragmatic approach of, as the FAA always says, right, crawl, walk, run, being able to to really show, okay, we are transitioning, we're working uh, very closely with the FA in you know, building and, and, de and deploying this in our cargo feeder network and cargo operations before we ever transition it to, to passenger. And, and being able to just show that that pragmatic approach is really, really, the investment community is really excited about it. OEMs are excited about it. Many, many different people across the aviation industry and beyond are starting to understand the opportunity that this has, not just for air travel, aviation, moving goods, e-commerce, uh, but really for for communities and, and the world to, to provide a, a new transportation system. And what I mentioned before of, of this gap where, where there's just not, not a significant amount of uh, opportunities or options for you to, to really travel in that 50 to 500 or 80 to 800 kilometer made. It's uh, interesting that you mentioned the crawl, walk, run idea, because I was at a, a DC Aero Club um, uh, luncheon and they were just talking about the FAA reauthorization bill coming up. And they were saying just how the urban air mobility sector are the people who, are, who seem to be doing it right because they're embracing that approach of crawl, walk, run, you know, because they need to demonstrate to the public that what they're doing is safe and that they're responsible. Yeah, I think I think with I mean with X-wing specifically, I think we've we've been what we hear quite frequently is you're using an existing platform, right? You're using a Cessna 208, you're using a caravan. It's a it's a workhorse. It's a you, you know, <laughs> everyone loves a caravan. It's it's everyone knows it, right? It's a very common 
commonly used, especially in cargo as well as in passenger. Uh, and it's, it's just a very well-known aircraft. So using that to start to bring in some of these new technologies, understand how it applies to an existing airframe, be able to, to show how that scales, show how that impacts that market, how it can expand to other markets. And, you know, as I mentioned, crawl, crawl, walk, run, and really start to expand out the opportunity space for, you know, this, this regional mobility thought as to how it can come from these, these cargo into passenger into a, a broader transition, as we've discussed, on how we, how we move about the country. Um, and really connect a lot of these communities. Kevin, Michael, and I we were talking about this. Um, I flew a Bonanza around the world back in 2017, and it would be so great to see, once you guys are there, perhaps one of your caravans go around the world and really share that message of how uh, incredible in terms of technology and capabilities um, you, know, you guys have come. I think that would really help change the perception of the general public, just something, you know, we were both talking about and we figured we'd share with you. No, that, that sounds like a fun idea. I, yeah. I think it's, uh, I, I mean, looking, I, I watched some of your, your videos before we talked here and, um, you know, around the world is, uh, is challenging regardless of what, <laughs> what technology or anything <laughs> is on the aircraft. That's a, yeah. a lot of logistics. It's not really, a, it, I mean, obviously it's technically challenging, but it's mostly like, the logistics, the cost, yeah. the, there's a lot that goes into the planning that, that you had to undertake to do that. Um, incredibly impressive. Really, really appreciate um, what, what you've done in the industry. But it, it really makes me thinking about that. It makes me think about the, um, uh, the, the green flight challenge that Google sponsored in 2011, right. yeah. uh, where they were looking at, okay, let's fly 200 miles, less than two hours. And they, and they put a Put a little carrot on a stick, right? And the yeah. winner wins one and a half million dollars or something, right? Yeah. Um, and so I, you know, I think the round the world challenge, at least for a, a startup, would be a, a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a lot of True. logistics take a lot of time from yeah. uh, testing. Uh, but I think you know, I think maybe maybe something like the the autonomous flight challenge or something with, yeah. with yeah. some carrot at the end, take off and land on several different types of runways, detect and avoid a few things in the air, you know, it could be a fun challenge to throw a prize at the end and increase public awareness of the capabilities. But I, I love your idea too. I, yeah. I think there's <laughs> a lot of options here we could consider. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's definitely, we definitely want to look at public perception and understand how do we, how do we start to grow? And I think cargo is a piece of that, obviously, in showing, hey, we've, we've flown so much uh, and carried so much of it and then transitioning that. But I think there's other ways that we need to we need to think about how do we bring the public along to understand the capabilities and show that, you know, this has been around for a while. We've been fly, flying aircraft uh, for quite some time. I think the first autopilot was, what, 1913 or so. So um, being able to really show and, and prove out the capability is is of utmost importance. As you're doing this work, um, you're doing the research, are there any other sectors that have like caught your attention that you're like, wow, it would be really interesting to to study that some more? I'm just curious. Yeah, that's a good question. I think I think maybe one thing I'll I'll mention there is you know as we've been building out our X-wing air network, I think we've got uh, 35 caravans, 400 flights per week, um, and and really starting to understand how that market operates. 
I think there's a tremendous something we've been really pushing on and trying to understand is how we bring much more value in, in just the operational piece of it, right? I, I think typically we think about um, we think about superpilot, we think about the capability that the aircraft has and that we're building and being able to have that remote operator, et cetera. But there's there's all of these operational bits as well uh, that we're also building out and and starting to really sink our teeth into the work that needs to be done in order to to modernize, digitize, uh, you know, even a lot of the digital analytics, uh, being able to really understand uh, what what we could do if we had all of this very, very well connected, very, very well understood so that we can, as I mentioned, have that fluidity in our operations. Uh, that doesn't just come with, with Superpilot. It's, it's really a a full understanding of the operations and how we dive into that and and make that so much more um, uh, adaptable, quick, uh, able to change very quickly, shift and and really gather, as we've mentioned, so much data and be able to process that quickly and make decisions quickly to to really drastically change how we operate. Kevin. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I think both Michael and I, we've learned so much. We appreciate your time and uh, we hope to have you back on in the future as you make progress. Sounds great. I'd love to. Thanks so much for the time. Enjoy the conversation. Wow, that was a great conversation, Chasa. What do you think? You know, I really enjoyed it. I've read a lot about urban air mobility. Um, it seems like it's always in the news. And it was great to just learn more about regional air mobility, the benefits of how it's going to serve the smaller communities. Um, and, you know, I was talking to my husband about this, who is an airline pilot, and he he had some mixed feelings about it. But then I told him, you know, when you think of the future, like 50 years from now, I don't foresee pilots being in the flight deck. And so this is just another step in that direction. And it might be hard for us to wrap our heads around this or just accept it, but this is the future. And so I'm kind of embracing it. And uh, I'm really hoping that with this will come more job opportunities and just more opportunities for the industry to grow. Yeah, and I was impressed to hear him talk about Superpilot, which is X-Wing's AI and machine learning technologies that they're using to drive this fully autonomous gate-to-gate flight technology. So with the project designation that they submitted to the FAA, X-Wing is now on a path to regulatory approval. The other thing I was impressed with was how the company is taking a crawl, walk, run approach. And um, typically you see companies get out and they want to conquer the world, but to hear them say that they are trying to be considerate of the industry as it is today and um, what people might be willing to adopt as they try to bring the, the technology to market was something I valued. And I think um, we need that. You know what I think about, Michael? I think a lot about, um, you know, having flown around the world, like you can tell a computer to fly from point A to point B. Um, And, you know, this is kind of a dramatic (laughs) scenario, but there were so many moments where, you know, the weather was okay. um, But like, 
I guess it's just the the pilot's intuition um, that I relied on as I went around the world to make decisions. And, you know, in hindsight, I feel like they were the right decisions to make. And so I'm just wondering, like, how do you account for that? How do you account for just the skill and the knowledge that the pilot comes with um, in situations that are not normal? And how will this super computer be able to, or super pilot be able to to manage that. Yeah. So I've had a, a couple interviews with the X-Wing team during my time at Fly Magazine. And one thing they pointed out was the technology for autonomous aviation already exists. They can, they can fly from point A to point B almost easily. It's an air traffic control system that needs to be adjusted for it. And it made me think about, um, so I live next to one of those Amazon fresh stores where you walk in and they have the overhead cameras and you could walk in and pick your stuff up and go. But every time I go in without fail, people going in, they are so, it's a new paradigm to them that they're like, can I actually just can to go in? And as they're coming out of the store, there's also this inhibition about, did it really charge my account? There was this experience I had uh, yesterday at the store where a lady was coming out and she was just so bewildered. She was asking the store attendant, what if I were to put it back? You know, And I realized this is what this is, where the technology is like a solved problem. You know, we can fly point A to point B without pilots. It's the ecosystem that also needs to evolve along with it. And so um, X-Wing, they have taken steps to do that. You know, they were in a program last year where large online aerial systems were sort of put into these extreme conditions to try to figure out how they would handle those things, how the air traffic control system would handle those scenarios, because the you know, the typical point A to point B, they have um, down pat. And then the rest of it is the airport environment, leaving the gate or, or starting off with just loading cargo, leaving the gate and then coming back in, landing, taxiing. These are where things tend to go wrong, typically for aviation. So yeah, I think it's, a, it's an incredible opportunity for other solutions to come along as well. I agree. And I think their strategy on the crawl, walk, run is smart um, because it's going to take some time for the general public to get behind this, to see it develop and for them to feel confident to get on a plane um, that doesn't have any (laughs) pilots up front. So um, it'd be it's interesting to see how this all unfolds. So another thing to add, Michael, is that more than 30 aviation leaders gathered a couple weeks ago in San Francisco for a summit that was specifically for regional air mobility. McKinsey and Company, the organizers, said that the Regional Air Mobility Summit is an event for senior leaders across several sectors like OEMs, technology providers, operators, infrastructure infrastructure players and others in the regional ecosystem, the summit is for them to connect, exchange thoughts, deepen relationships, and further the industry. One of the key takeaways from the summit uh, was that after investing millions of dollars into the research and development on airframes, investors and companies are now turning their attention to the operational challenges they face as they look to move passengers and cargo. One of the leaders who attended the event was Mark Piet, the founder and CEO at X-Wing. 
I'm glad you brought that up, Shasta, because just recently the House Aviation Subcommittee um, hosted industry leaders to talk about just workforce challenges ahead of the FAA reauthorization bill. And one of the leaders present was the CEO of the president and the CEO of the Regional Airline Association. And in her testimony, she said the impact of the pilot shortage are real. Currently, more than 500 regional aircraft are parked, and those aircraft that remain in service are underutilized. She also said that the impact has been felt by 308 airports and almost 72% of all U.S. airports. So presently, there's just uh, regional airports in small cities are under duress from lack of service, which means that people who live in those areas, as Kevin shared, they have to drive really far to, to get reliable service. And there's a direct economic impact on those communities as well. So the need for solutions like what X-Wing is trying to bring to market is, um, is becoming clearer and clearer each day. In addition to this, just as a passenger, you know, a lot of Aviation events happen in more regional areas. When you look at Sun and Fun in Lakeland, Florida, EAA Air Venture out in uh, Oshkosh, it's exhausting. It's it's a a day of travel to fly into the major cities, rent a car, drive all the way out. Um, so really exciting stuff with regional air mobility. I, I'm excited to um, just have more options than what the airlines are offering. Yeah, I'm, I'm really curious to see how X-Wing's certification process goes. Um, even though they've done the work, now things are sort of in the FAA's hand and the FAA will need engineers on hand to help hurry this process along. So let's stay tuned and see how things uh, shake out for X-Wing. So Shasta, what else is in the news? So we got two major stories that recently have happened. Uh, the first is... The acting administrator at the Federal Aviation Administration, Billy Nolan, has announced that he will resign this summer, leaving the agency. Nolan's departure puts pressure on the White House to find a replacement for his position. This is pressing since the FAA is facing several safety issues, staffing challenges, and flight scheduling problems. Nolan's resignation came after Philip Washington, President Biden's nominee to lead the FAA, withdrew his name from consideration. Senator Ted Cruz suggested that Nolan could be a candidate for the position. Uh, The Transportation Secretary, Pete Buttigieg, praised Nolan as a dedicated public servant who kept safety at the FAA as a top priority. Um, So, you know, this is big news. I know we've spoken a lot about Billy Nolan and how he had the criteria to serve in this position. Um, So it's kind of shocking that he withdrew his name out of the hat. Yeah, I think uh, we definitely got this prediction wrong. Um, I was listening to our prediction and, you know, you know, from our perspective, Billy was the person, the perfect person to to do this job. The timing is interesting because we are heading into the busy travel period and the FAA reauthorization bill is on hand as well. I think this couldn't have come at a worse time for the industry. We need someone at the helm to help guide us through these things that are on the horizon. But you know, Michael, I do have to acknowledge 
DSAA, the the staff, the people that are working there day to day, you have to give it up to them. You know, they haven't had a uh, a stable leader for for some time now, and th- they're pressing forward. They're you know, I, I interact with some of the um, the staff who work there, and they're coming out with a lot of great initiatives. Um, they're ramping up their social media for some of the programs that they have for young kids to get into STEM and aviation careers. Um, they came out with a pretty great uh, campaign to hire more air traffic controllers. Uh, so, you know, for uh, an agency that doesn't have um, a permanent leader right now, I feel like they're they're doing a great job. Yeah, I, I definitely wouldn't want to take away from what they're doing. We just need a leader. There's so much at stake with aviation right now. There is, as we said, emerging technologies, existing technology certification. We saw some things come up recently about the 737 MAX. There's space technology. We saw what's going on with SpaceX. And then um, just uh, operational things that need to happen. And so there is just a strong need for a leader right now. So speaking of SpaceX, uh, that is the second uh, big news that has happened recently in the news. SpaceX Starship rocket, the tallest and most powerful rocket ever built, exploded on its test flight roughly four minutes after liftoff from its launch pad in South Texas. Despite the fiery outcome, the mission achieved several milestones towards the future of space development and flights. Some believe otherwise, having criticized SpaceX launch uh, to be a big failure. The rocket did not reach orbit, but provided essential lessons for the private spaceflight company to work towards a more successful mission. SpaceX is relied on by NASA to build a version of the Starship that will carry two astronauts from lunar orbit to the surface of the moon during its Artemis II mission. What are your thoughts about this, Michael? This is the largest rocket ever built, which means the challenge is just even harder. And um, I think what I'll lean into is the fact that SpaceX has done a really good job of uh, learning from its failures and progressing. And we've seen this with their other prototypes, the SN8, SN9, and SN10. And the first two, the first two prototypes didn't stick their landings and exploded in dramatic fashion. But by the time they got to the third one, it was able to land uh, safely. So I feel like we should give the people at SpaceX some room. And, you know, it, it's easy to wrap SpaceX up into just Elon Musk because of his personality. But there are so many talented people working there who are working really hard at this problem. And I think it's only a matter of time before they actually get to a solution. And this becomes uh, a conversation that's off the pass. When you're doing something that's never been done before, failure is inevitable. and you know, I say this in my speeches when I'm in front of hundreds of young people, because I failed, I then became very successful and safely flew around the world in a single engine aircraft. Um, So yes, it's a failure, but so much, there was a great deal of data for engineers to understand just overall performance of the spaceship. Um, The company still remains to be the leading company and global space despite of the setback. So, you know, I, I just think it's, it's a part of, um, this transformation and we walked away from this with a lot of 
information and data and they're just going to come back stronger and eventually they're going to get there. Well, that is it for this week. Uh, thank you all so much for joining us on Uplink and we look forward to doing this again next week. Take care. Bye.